Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Brian Hoppy with mutualomaha.com. Welcome, Brian. How are you doing? Doing well, Chris. How are you? Very good. Thanks for asking. So, Brian, share with us your background and how you got involved in blockchain technology. Yeah, so I am uh, an actuary by training, but kind of a technologist at heart. Um, I can still remember when my my dad brought in uh, a computer in to our house. It was like 1990 or 1991. Uh, and he taught me how to play computer games uh, by inserting one of the big five and a quarter inch uh, floppy disks, and then uh, we went from there. And so uh, progressed through there. I can remember when we got the internet, and um, <clears throat> sometime in the mid '90s, and, and the, we had a 28.8 baud modem with the the screech dial when you dialed in. And <clears throat> the internet at the time that, that we had, we didn't actually have a, a graphic browser, so everything was text. But I still spent a fair amount of time like trying to play my way through text-based games, and um, there was a bit of search uh, on, on whatever homepage that we have. I actually can't remember what it was now. And I have just taken an interest to it. Um, and so once, once I got into professional life, as I mentioned, I'm an actuary, um, which you can, you can think about as the, the people that use big data to price insurance products, um, and not particularly at an individual level, but for whole cohorts of people, so all all possible rates that you could ever get if you're applying for insurance uh, were eventually priced at some point by an actuary. So um, what, once I got into my professional life, I, I took that 
technology bent, I guess, and, and used it to help make my job easier. Um, and there's a series of exams you've got to take uh, to become a, a fully credentialed actuary. Uh, made my way through those and then um, essentially, again, was just trying to, to not not use technology for technology's sake, but to, to make life easier for me so I could get to the analysis piece and get out of kind of the, the data wrangling that you, you find yourself in a fair amount of the time. So uh, I came across blockchain, um, gosh, it's probably been three or four years ago, like most people did, uh, through cryptocurrency um, with Bitcoin. And then uh, two years ago, I saw I was lucky enough to see Chris Berninski speak on um, the Ethereum network. And that really, Bitcoin was interesting to me, right? Because I can, I can transfer value back and forth and I don't need a middleman like PayPal or whatever. Um, but but the the smart contract was really intriguing. So uh, dug in deep there. Um, I have since kind of spent some time developing. I'm not a developer. Uh, I I did do a bit of programming in Visual Basic and have taken a few computer courses along the way. But um, we just wanted to see how easy it was to actually write a smart contract. Uh, deployed that on the Ethereum network, and um, here we are. So I've spent a fair amount of time thinking like how blockchain thinking and, and testing, I guess, on how blockchain may be able to help both um, things that I'm interested in personally and, and things that I'm interested in professionally. Um, and and then uh, I was thankfully found by you guys and, and invited to join your podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Very good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know more about uh, the smart contract uh, side of things and what developments you've, you've seen in that or that you have implemented or integrated. <clears throat> Yeah, so um, if if you think about what insurance companies actually sell, right? They they sell promises. So uh, what what you're doing when you're entering an insurance contract is is you're trusting that that company, uh, the insurance company, is going to be around to pay your claim in accordance with whatever the the legal paper based contract says. Um, and it's it's because that claim is uncertain to happen, and it's at some point in the future. It's really a, a promise by the company that, yeah, we'll, we will do that um, both in accordance with the contract and that we'll be here to pay it at some point in the future. So the smart contract takes that paper and just turns it into code, um, which, which was one of, is one of the, I guess, very interesting things that you can do um, with, with smart contracts. Okay. So I guess things, things that we've thought about, um, as, as a former, well, former and still, I guess, actuary, uh, one of the things that insurance companies do is is when they get tied up with uh, a significant amount of risk, so more than the the company is willing to take for whatever reason. So either you can think about like maybe they're they've got too much volume coming in, they've they've sold too much, uh, and they want to uh, hedge some of that risk, or perhaps they're selling really large um, face amount policies, upwards of five or ten million dollars uh, on a life insurance case, for example. Uh, they they find partners that are willing to help them. Um, called reinsurers, and it's insurance for insurance companies. And these these reinsurance deals, um, they are similar to a normal insurance contract. Only uh, at a corporate level, it's you have to do a lot of excuse me monthly uh, monthly accounting back and forth. Um, so it's it's kind of time consuming and it's painful on both ends. Both uh, the insurance carrier, the initial writer, and the reinsurer, uh, they both have to do this this kind of sharing of data and um, sending money back and forth for premiums that came in and, and claims that go out. So one of the ways that we've um, been toying around with here is what if you could put that on the blockchain um, and then you've, you've instantly shared 
whatever the risk is, um, obviously you can transfer value back and forth. That's been, been proven multiple times. So if you needed to do that, uh, and then in fact, you could write a smart contract that would kind of enforce the rules of the contract uh, around it. And that, that greatly simplifies um, the monthly accounting. In fact, the, the accounting then becomes real time because you've just got a, a shared ledger that you can um, both track. So that's one of the great use cases for um, the insurance industry as it stands today. All right. So uh, what are, you mentioned bringing this kind of into Mutual of Omaha and other um, other projects that you're involved in. Can you tell us first about how this is being integrated in real time into Mutual of Omaha? Yeah, so um, like like most big corporates, um, we we say that we like open source software, but really we, we for some reason like to trust big um, corporate entities. So uh, there are a few that have been... Uh, Significantly helpful. Actually, Microsoft Azure has um, a they have a blockchain. They just released like an app builder not that long ago. That's been helpful in in getting others to understand um, how blockchain can work and and how to build a smart contract and how that works. So we've been using them. Um, nothing nothing in production yet, but we've been using them as kind of the test bed for for some of the ideas that we're talking about. So. Uh, I, I currently work uh, in one of the business units, and before I worked in this role, I was the vice president of, of innovation. Um, I head up one of the business units, I guess, to be clear. I was vice president of innovation. Um, and so I, I spent a lot of time trying to to include others in in my thinking and then get them to kind of uh, come along with me on a, on a pilot process. Um, and thankfully, there's been a few others from the IT department who have taken me up on that. And um, now it, it's not just me kind of spouting off uh, about how blockchain can be transformative to the operations that we have, um, and even even what the, f- the future of insurance could look like. Uh, if you think about, uh, there's a few travel uh, insurance products that are done completely on the blockchain with a smart contract, uh, and I think the crop insurance is either coming or is exists. I'm not actually sure which yet. So I, I, we've been using the, the Azure platform uh, just as an easy way to get people who are familiar with Microsoft and familiar with running a um, VM, a virtual machine in, in Azure's cloud to, to experiment with blockchain. Again, nothing nothing in production yet, but um, yeah, we've we've made a, a little bit of strides here and there, and thankfully it's not just me um, off on the corner doing it myself. We've got uh, others that are willing to help. Cool. So with um, with that innovation, uh, VP of innovation category, so you're bringing blockchain, what other, um, what other innovations are you bringing into the uh, space? Yeah, so we've we've talked a, f- a bit about um, insurance companies are n- notoriously slow uh, at legacy s- uh, technology, I guess, just adopting new technology in general. So blockchain is probably about as far out on the curve as, as we've gotten. Um, APIs, I guess, are uh, old hat to those of you who work in tech regularly, but for insurance companies, those are it's relatively new uh, concept, and so. We've we've opened up a few. We actually use APIs to do some of our quoting. Um, and and uh, my my going in hypothesis that that most of you have probably seen, but uh, is kind of rare in the in corporate world, is that the you can create more value by by having an open platform than a closed platform, which is counter to how a lot of business has been run in the past, where it's like let me keep my hands around this thing because I can I can maximize the amount of value when in reality that the more people I can get using this platform or whatever it is, the the more uh, value I can create, not only for our customers, but also for, for us as a company. So 
we're becoming we we've created a few APIs. We're becoming a bit more open with how we share those, um, and and hopefully we've got good things coming down the pipe. It seems like the the products and the companies and the the developers and the innovators that are are going to be in it for the long haul have that open mindset in uh, the things that they do. And um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I would agree. Um, so the I, in the in the in my role in innovation, I spent a fair amount of time with the the entrepreneurs, the innovators, uh, the venture capital firms, and the the thing that you learn quickly is that uh, ideas are cheap. It's the execution, and so the more that you can enable the the execution, the more valuable that idea even becomes. Right. So if if you've got only two people working on a thing um, because you you think for some reason that you're the only people that have come up with the idea and you and you can you're the only people that can actually get it done, um, you're actually much much less likely to win than if you were to to begin to open that up and and share that. And and thankfully now we've got. Uh, technology to help us begin to understand and sift through the, the vast amount of data that gets created, which is one of the other benefits of, of opening things up, right, is I can get a lot of information that it would take me um, years, years and years to get before. So if you think about even uh, the way that we market it here at Mutual of Omaha, one of, one of our main uh, advertising channels is the via direct mail. And so if you think about how long it takes to get um say maybe a, a million eyeballs on direct mail and how much cost that is, um, I, I can get a million eyeballs on a digital advertisement uh, much quicker and get that feedback in, in much faster than sending out a million pieces of, of mail. So one of the other things that I guess you get benefit out of is uh, by, by being more open is, is you just get more data and you get to learn faster. And then once you get to do that, uh, you, you can begin to beat out outmaneuver your competition because you're you're in that I think they call it the OODA loop the uh, orient uh, I don't remember what the second O is decide and then act so the, anyway the more data that you get um, the the quicker that you'll be able to to outmaneuver your competition because you're you're learning faster than they are and so when you're when you're learning faster you can you can decide faster then you can act faster uh, and then you get into one of those runaway success places so now do you think that that other companies in the space are keeping up with uh, the, the developments that you are at Mutual of Omaha. Are they are they similar? What what are your um, ideas surrounding that? Um, it varies by company. So there there are a few, um, and and I run into a few friends that would would think similar to um, I do or have have um, at least toyed around with some of the ideas that that we have at Mutual of Omaha, uh, and and. Frankly, if if the companies want to be in business, they'll eventually get there. Uh, the, one of the things that uh, the the innovation role afforded me was the ability to kind of lean around the corner, right? Where if you're not if you're not out actively seeking those kind of opportunities, um, and you're just waiting on the the gardeners of the world to write some sort of report, uh, that's going to be difficult, I think, for you to to keep up uh, at some point. So. Um, there are a few. I mean, there's I don't know, maybe a, a third of the of the major insurance companies. Frankly, I think banks are, are ahead of the insurance world um, in how they think about innovation and how they how they build on top of it. Uh, and, and in part, it's it's because they've had to. They've had more competition come out from the either Silicon Valley or the East Coast, either way, in in the fintech space than we have in insurance. Insurance is regulated very strangely in that you've got uh, 50 state regulators, so it's, it's difficult to actually start off as a as an insurance company. 
it's much easier to start off as a as a as a company that helps insurance companies solve a particular problem than it is to just create an insurance company from scratch. Uh, so that affords us a little bit of time, uh, but it also is sort of a false moat that uh, eventually I think will get figured out. Okay. So you, you mentioned before we started uh, recording, you mentioned having some other projects going on. Uh, what can you tell us about those? Yeah, sure. So um, a couple of my friends and I, uh, so so I, you, you know a bit about my background. Um, one of my other friends works at a, at a another insurance company uh, doing a similar role that I had on in the innovation role. And then I've got a, another friend of mine who um, works primarily in real estate and we were at lunch one day, uh, and he was lamenting the fact that like there were there were real estate deals that he wanted to get into that um, he couldn't necessarily get into, and and so we started talking about it. Uh, this is where the the personal and professional worlds collide, um, as probably are so often to do in the innovation role, but in blockchain in particular, where it's like you could probably just tokenize those those real estate deals um, if you could figure out a way to uh, to accurately deal with either the Securities lawyers or whatever would whatever regulations would be relevant to. Um, he got super excited about it, um, and so then he and I chased down this rabbit hole. Um, so they got the other guy, the, the third guy came in um, with also some a bit more knowledge on the regulatory side of, of how to deal with with blockchain, and specifically in this case, we we had to discuss whether we wanted to to create an ICO or not, um, which thankfully we did not, because otherwise I think all three of us would probably be in trouble right now, or at least. Being a bit more nervous than we are, uh, and so we're trying to figure out there there is a way certainly to do that. So the the project that we're working on, right, is is how do you tokenize um, real estate assets in a in a secure, compliant fashion? Um, and and frankly, the the research that we've done, the the U.S. is not really particularly well positioned to do that because uh, the SEC is not necessarily aggressively going after companies like that, but they do have um, some regulations that you would you would hope that that you could. Uh, maneuver around at some point. Um, right now, the, the the biggest sticking point is either you've got to go with Reg A plus or Reg D in order to, to launch something like that, or you've got to take only accredited investors, in which case you've got to do a significant amount of due diligence as the, the issuing company. So we've we've spent some time exploring, um, all right, are there other are there other um, nations or are there other countries where you might be able to, to do that? Because we, we think it's a pretty good way, a pretty good model um, for allowing people into deals that they would otherwise never get a chance to see um, because the the blockchain enables the the operational aspect of that the the purchase the accounting um, heck even the dividend payments in a way that was never scalable before um, if you're paying out 10 investors before it was much much easier than paying out 100 investors with the blockchain uh, it doesn't really matter if you've got 10 hundred a thousand it doesn't matter actually if they've traded or sold at some point along the way either um, so we've uh, we've we've been working on that. We've got um, we have a coming soon website called Pleather P L E T H E R Private Lending on the Ethereum Network um, that is to be launched uh, at some point in 2018. But for now, uh, it's just a landing page. Okay. So I'm I'm curious about you mentioned the SEC and the um, just where the U.S. is in general. Do you think that the foreign company or foreign countries will have kind of a unique advantage and maybe press ahead of where the U.S. is and then we'll play catch up at some point? Or do you think it will kind of level out? What What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I do. So uh, Switzerland's taken a, a pretty good stance uh, on on how to manage um, 
crypto in general, uh, we'll, we'll just go as, as that broad. There are others that are trying to, to manage it a bit more tightly. Um, if you think about maybe Singapore or uh, China banning Bitcoin for, I don't even know how many times, five times or six times or something. Um, and then it comes back around. Uh, so, but, but there are, there are bright spots around. Uh, Wyoming just passed five, um, I'd call them crypto-friendly laws, uh, where a, they've clearly defined what a utility token is and um, have, have a relatively easy way of, of issuing uh, utility tokens. You just have to file um, with the state ahead of time what the token is going to be used for and, and how you'll distribute it. So certainly there are, uh, there are some states that are ahead of the curve. Um, that one, in fact, is due to a woman that I met. Her name is Caitlin Long. She and I met in the innovation role at um, that same speech that I heard uh, Chris Berninski at. We were at a, we were at a conference together. Um, and she was instrumental in getting that those five crypto laws passed in Wyoming. And and um, I've had a couple of talks here with state senators in Nebraska about how they um, are thinking about trying to regulate crypto. Uh, and one of the the conversations that we had were essentially around like we we got to be really careful on uh, doing the regulation right that you don't in- create the unintended consequences of saying well. Uh, with with blockchain, I can I can go stand up a, a company in Switzerland because they're crypto friendly. And I mean, as as you know, with an internet based company, you can you can essentially base that anywhere. Actually, Estonia is pretty forward leaning in that that they will. That's like their value proposition is you can become an e resident, create an, an Estonian corporation um, from anywhere in the world, and and now you are a a actually licensed um, EU country uh, with a with a corporation there and, and you're subject to Estonian tax laws and um, everything else. So there are a few few countries that are certainly ahead of the U.S. Um, like I said, there are some bright spots that, that um, may indicate that the, the, we're, we're a bit more forward-leaning than I had thought maybe three months ago or six months ago. What do you think is going to make that forward-leaning uh, get into race mode and, and uh, getting ahead for the U.S.? Um, for, let's see, to... If you, if you kind of separate for a second um, the the blockchain itself and um, the cryptocurrencies, so blockchain, I have not yet seen a large corporation get significant efficiency gains. Um, there's a whole lot of pilots out there and with some some really good uh, solid results, but I don't think I've seen it scale in the way that I would want to quite yet. On the crypto side, I think as the the actual Platforms get built. Um, so Ethereum being an example, I guess, of a of a platform where you can build things on top of it. And actually, Bitcoin has a few ways that you can do it. It's just a little messier. Um, I think you need a successful customer-driven company um, who either navigates the waters and then begins to um, to bring some influence into both the states and the SEC. Now, where those two come together, right, is if you've got a corporation who wants to do something in between those two um, and and can lobby in the way that they normally lobby to get uh, laws enacted or changed, uh, both at the SEC and then at whatever relevant state regulations would be. I think that is ultimately where that that big thing happens, where you'd say, yeah, the U.S. is um, crypto-friendly. We know how to do it. And and frankly, the regulators are okay with it and they're, they're happy about it because you get happier customers. So... Um, right now, everybody's a bit nervous about, uh, and rightfully so, about both harming the, the investors, or in the case of the corporation, the, about um, the, the customers not necessarily knowing what they're getting themselves in. Uh, hence, the u- utility token, kind of like the, the SEC stance that almost everything is a security. 
Um, and, and Wyoming clearly defining like a utility token is not a security. And, and in fact, here's what a utility token looks like. That's, um, that's unique, definitely to the states because, because of those, I, I consider other, um, other laws and other, um, other similar things that are passed in different states and then they kind of gravitate out to the rest of the country and then they're um, eventually adopted. So that's the, the Wyoming stance is um, very unique and I would say kind of unexpected, but at, at the same time too, we're, we're dealing with, you know, something that doesn't have necessarily borders either. So it's, uh, yeah. it's oh, uni- sure. unique. Yeah. So um, that's always been one of my thoughts too, is like, well, there's, the SEC is um, attempting to regulate exchanges, but I don't know what happens to a, a decentralized exchange, right? Like, if it lives only on the internet uh, and there's no there's no definable company that's managing it, it just got released at some point. What what? How do you regulate that? I don't. I'm I'm not sure. And and maybe the answer is you can't. Maybe the answer is you can, and we'll find out exactly what they're planning on doing. But yeah, certainly the the kind of decentralized nature of blockchain and cryptocurrency, depending on how it's set up, right, is interesting. So what, what do you think the near-term future of, uh, let's take it back to the insurance realm, what do you think the near-term future of uh, the insurance industry is um, in relation to blockchain and, and other recent technological developments? So um, I, I think that the insurance industry is certainly becoming, we, we've woken up, I guess. We know that the world has changed. We've become we're becoming more digitally savvy. And in doing so, you you start to um, get some operational improvements. Like any good corporation, um, the insurance, or any good industry, I guess, the insurance industry is interested in how do we um, begin to reduce some of the overhead costs that we have incurred in the past. A lot of that is due to legacy technology. A lot of that is due to even manual processes that, that still exist because we we didn't incorporate the technology. So you'll see, I think, um, I don't know that you'll see a radical shift from a customer standpoint, um, other than you, you may hopefully eventually begin to see some some price relief as companies become more efficient. They'll just get into a pricing war for those that are, are winning. Um, so AXA is the insurance company that has the travel product that you can purchase via the blockchain. It's a smart contract, actually. I believe it's one flight from Paris to New York that you can get it. Uh, you can get the coverage for. And the way it works is you send um, money to a particular address and with a with a flight time attached to it. And then if your flight gets delayed, it it automatically pays out uh, based on a schedule that you see when you're signed up. So if it's two hours delayed, you get a particular amount. If it's uh, four hours delayed, you get a particular amount. I think if it's canceled altogether, you you get some sort of money back. I think you'll see a few more companies try models like that, um, crop insurance being one that I mentioned earlier uh, in our discussion, where you could you could say, for example, uh, say I'm a I'm a farmer and there I, I want some sort of coverage in case there's a drought and, and I can't harvest as much as I was expecting to. Uh, let's let's enter this insurance contract that like if um, say the National Weather Service declares a drought in a particular area for a summer, um, then the the policy pays out. I think you'll see more smart contracts written like that. I don't know um I don't know how long it'll take to get to widespread adoption in part cuz you're you're trusting um they call them oracles, right? They you're trusting another party to kind of define when 
that contract gets paid out, which is uh, a little nervous, a little nerve-wracking for an insurance company. Uh, they'd like to have a bit more control about when and how, in, in case things get a little gray. Um, and, and in some cases, like if you've got, you, you've kind of politicized that if you're trusting the National Weather Service and perhaps billions of dollars are on the line, uh, certainly not today, but at some point in the future, uh, you, you've politicized the, the declaration of a drought uh, that you've got people not lobbying the National Weather Service to either change their definition of a drought or to declare a drought in a particular area. So it, it does pose some interesting challenges as the further you get, right, that, that you've kind of set these oracles out there. Now, again, that's that's a bit further out. You'll see a few more companies try that. Sorry to get back to your, your initial question. It's like, what's the near term? Uh, one, you'll see companies get more digitally savvy. Two, you'll see companies get more, um, uh, how do I want to say this, open and, and friendly to people who want to build on top of it. Uh, on top of the products, um, and and three, you'll probably actually see some some more specific targeting. Um, so Haven Life, I guess, has done a good job from from Mass Mutual, their Mass Mutual subsidiary, at targeting a particular customer set who um, millennials in particular who haven't purchased insurance, life insurance in this example, uh, in part because the process takes a long time, uh, it's not very comfortable, and in part because they haven't really sold it, and it also in part because it's it's a hassle and a half to um, either fill out a thing and then have somebody call you and then have to go um, maybe fill out another app uh, and then wait two to three weeks to apply, hear back. Potentially, you've got to take some sort of blood test in there, um, and then eventually you get your policy eight to 12 weeks later. Haven Life's done a good job of kind of simplifying that process for, again, a particular customer set. And, and they know their customer set well. Like They, will, they can target like um, a, a modern tech company can target their customers. So you'll see companies start to do uh, more of more of that kind of things. So uh, when I say that industry is waking up or woken up, excuse me, um, you'll you're beginning to see them act more like a I don't know how to say, a, a modern company, for lack of a better term, like a um, either like a an internet internet based company solely, or um, even like a like a retailer might. It's um it's interesting the way we're we're speaking about this. You mentioned legacy <clears throat> legacy type types of things earlier. And it seems that for a, a legacy, just in a broad term, to to last, it has to have that innovation. It has to have those changes. And so when we refer back to legacy software or legacy enterprise, um, it's, it seems ironic to me that uh, that at some point those seem to be a little stuck. And then at some, you know, they, then they integrate the technology and they're unstuck and moving forward. And, and uh, that's just, that seems like the way things are going to develop and the way we're going to progress into the future. Yeah, that's uh, that's much more concise than my answer, and that's perfect. Uh, what you said, that's what that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, hey, it's been really great chatting with you today. And uh, where can people get in contact with you and find out more about the projects that you're doing? Uh, yeah, you can you can reach me at. Brian.poppy at mutualofomaha.com. That's my email address. You can also reach me at um, on LinkedIn. I'm slash bpoppy. LinkedIn slash n slash bpopp. Very good. Brian Poppy with Mutual of Omaha. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. Awesome. And thank you all for listening in to the Future Tech Podcast. We will catch you here next time. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications, 
We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.